You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Uh, Luke chapter 21, we're going to be just in verses 1 through 4 this week, um, although that's not the, the only place we're going to stay. And um, Lord willing, next week we'll uh, look at chapter 20, verse 41, and just kind of check out the whole context, um, including what we're talking about today. So just verse 1 there in Luke 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And Lord, as we just get into Luke chapter 21, just uh, it's been so neat to see the work you're doing uh, in this body and, and through giving and just you stirring the people's hearts to be uh, giving back to you what you so graciously have given to them. I just pray your grace upon the study today, Lord, upon my lips, Lord, season my speech with salt and just do a, just a move of your spirit. Uh, and all that's in your heart to accomplish, be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The story is told of an infant playing on the living room carpet one day uh, when she swallows a quarter. And her mom reacts with hysteria and starts screaming out for the father, you know, get in here, get in here, call 911, you know, Sally swallowed a quarter. And the dad's voice comes from the other room. Forget calling 911. Call our pastor. He can squeeze money out of anybody. (laughs) And that seems to be the case with most churches and most pastors. When you hear a study on giving given, uh, you just feel like you're being squeezed. And no one looks forward to those Sundays um, sadly, nobody looks forward to those Sundays. You know, the, the story is told also of uh, monks, you know, who back in the day, they would take a, a vow of silence. And one monastery decided they'd take a vow of silence for a year. And then finally, after a year, one monk would be allowed to speak. And then after that monk spoke, another year of silence would go. And then one monk would be given the opportunity to speak and so on and so forth. And so after the first year of this vow of silence, uh, the monk finally gets up in front of the group and, and everyone's very excited to hear what God has shown him in this year of silence. And as he opens his mouth, he says, it's my opinion that the oatmeal we're served for breakfast is quite runny. And that's it. So a whole nother year goes by and no talking, no talking, no talking. And finally, Another monk is given the opportunity to speak, and everyone's very excited. Hopefully it's better than last year's, they're all thinking. And the man says, it's my opinion that the oatmeal that's served for breakfast is quite lumpy. And that's it for a whole year. Then finally, a whole nother year goes by, and the monk gets up to speak, and he says, I am just so sick and tired about all of this arguing of the oatmeal going on around here. 
as few and far between as Bible studies are on giving, it just seems like they're quite constant for some reason. We all seem to hear them. If it's not at church, it's on the radio or on the, the TV or whatever. But, um, you know, here we are in the Word, Luke chapter 21. And it's not my, by my manipulative tactics that we're here. It's just, this is where we're at in the Word. And it's just been neat to see the Lord move on my heart and even move in first service. You know, pastors have been known to motivate their people to give in one of three areas. Either they use the flint approach by striking the people in the church until they finally decide to give. Maybe if I beat them enough, you know, they'll, they'll feel like they ought to be giving. It's their responsibility. And so finally, the saints will grit their teeth and, you know, cut the check. Or there's the sponge approach where the pastor squeezes the church to give and just really compels them and manipulates them and pressures them to to give. You know, perhaps out of greed of the pastor, he uses guilt. But there's a few pastors, and it's been my prayer all weekend that I'm one of these, that uses the honeycomb approach. You know, pollinate the hearts of the people through God's love and His grace and His goodness. And then those hearts will just naturally overflow like that honeycomb with joy and gratitude. And you'll just see sweetness produced as just a fruit of examining God's goodness and His grace towards us. You know, we see that this woman is here in the temple, this poor little widow. And we remember that it's Jesus's passion week. It's, you know, a day and a half until he'll be delivered up to be killed. And he's been teaching in the temple. And there in the temple, just within the treasury, you know that there's about 13 big brass trumpet looking things that people would pour their money into. And remember that Jerusalem has swelled to a couple million people because of everyone traveling there for Passover. Within the temple itself, there's probably a quarter of a million people listening to Jesus and part of the hustle and bustle, dumping their money into these big brass trumpets. Now, as the wealthy would go by, they would dump, you know, thousands and thousands of coins in and it would make quite a clatter. You know, quite a, quite a show and the scribes and the Pharisees would perhaps applaud and, and talk amongst themselves. Wow, that guy really did good this year and this and that. And how much did they give? Wow. And then all of a sudden there's this little widow lady coming by and she drops two little mites in there. Not dust mites. That's really tiny. You know, it's, it's like a penny, you know, about worth two cents, less than a cent actually. And she drops these things in there and, you know, in the midst of the clacker, clatter and the clatter of all the other chains, there's two little pink pinks, you know, that, that go into the trumpet. And so, you know, nobody would have noticed her. Nobody would have applauded her, but one, but one man who saw her heart, who saw the sacrifice that she was giving. It's a beautiful thing to read of this woman. She's an example and how incredible that the classic illustration of giving in the gospels, the example is of a little widow woman who wasn't worth two cents only in God's economy. Am I right? You know, in the world's economy, it's let's see that big fat check. You know, the publisher's clearinghouse one that it takes a forklift to bring in and a Sharpie marker, you know, how do you spell it? You know, how, what's the amount? You know, look at me, look at me. Not in God's economy. He loves the heart that gives in secret and he loves the heart that gives it all. That gives everything, even out of your poverty. 
You know, the person that, that donated the thousands and thousands of coins, their sacrifice was much less. You know, what's Jesus saying here in verse three? You know, surely I tell you, she gave more than the others. What is Jesus saying? Two cents is more than a dollar. Two cents is more than a dollar in this case, because her sacrifice was so much greater. And the people that would give thousands and thousands of coins, they had something to fall back on. They knew after they gave that great amount, they could go back to their mansion or whatever it was. They would have food on the table. They'd have clothes and everything would pretty much go on the same. But this little woman gave all that she had. And so she said out of a heart of faith, when she dropped it in there, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you because when I walk out of this, this temple after the service or whatever, I don't know what I'm going to eat for lunch. I don't know how I'm going to replace this tattered garment. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. You know, I I don't know. But I trust you, Lord. As you say in Matthew, although she didn't have the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter five, Lord, you feed the sparrows of the air and you clothe the lilies of the field. And I'm of much more value than they. And so I trust you, Lord. And Jesus heard this woman's heart. And it was an incredible thing. We're going to compare today this woman's generosity and this woman's sacrifice to the heart that Paul tells us to have in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And so if you'll flip over to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, before we actually dig into it, uh, give you a little history of what, what's going on at this time in, in 2 Corinthians. Now, uh, I've got some slides to, to, so you don't get paper cuts because we would be doing a lot of Bible turning. Now you'll just get eye cuts from looking at so many slides. But um, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we see that the early church was a giving church. You may remember a couple months ago, we did a study on the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts and how the early church was a praying church. And we were moved by the Lord. He stirred in our hearts to have a weekly prayer meeting called the Pulse in honor of the pulse of prayer we see in the book of Acts. And so we become a praying church. Not that it wasn't a praying church before. We're just kicking it up some notches. We want to be even more of a praying church. And today we see that the early church was a giving church. And I just know the spirit of God is doing a work to make us givers, even more of givers. And in Acts chapter four, verse 32, you read the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles feet. And they distributed to each one or to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, whose name was Barnabas, he got a nickname called uh, son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. And so we just see that there was just no selfishness in the early church. Just, you know what, whatever God's given me, it's not mine. Man, let me help you out where the help is needed. In fact, there was much more of a communal living in the early church when, the, when Christianity was first Christianity. But as all of that was happening in Acts chapter 11, 
we finally see, and I'm just going to kind of, kind of skim through it and paraphrase, that a prophet stood up named Agabus who prophesied that there was going to be a severe famine throughout the world and specifically in the area of Judea. And so in verse 29 there, you read that all of the disciples purposed in their heart that they were going to be part of raising money to take to Judea to help this, with this famine that was going on so severely there in Judea. Well, at the end of that section there on the slide, it says that Paul and, and or Barnabas and Saul, uh, they specifically had it burned on their heart that they were to be really ambassadors to go help collect this offering for this uh, famine that was going on. And so we see just that happening in 1 Corinthians, the next slide, chapter 16. Paul basically lays out a plan on how to start raising money to help the church there in Judea. And he just basically says, you know, uh, the first week, first of the week, you know, we're going to set aside a certain amount so that when I come back through to collect that offering at the last minute, you're not, hey, hey, quickly, hey, give me some change. You know, we got to put it in there. We got to make it act like we've been doing something here, you know, and instead just, hey, just once a week, just set a certain amount apart uh, aside and, and it'll be there when I come through to get it. And so in First uh, Corinthians, you know, basically we see what happened was the, the Corinthian church was so excited to be a part of raising this money. And rightly so. The next slide, Romans chapter 15, verse 27, says that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go collect uh, an offering um, for Macedonia and Achaia. And the reason that we should be giving back to Judea at the end there, it says, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. In other words, they're thinking about how their brothers and sisters clear back in Jerusalem are starving and they're thinking, man, we got the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. They're like our forefathers. You know, we owe them spiritually, man, we also should be helping them out physically and what a joy it is to get to do so. And when the Corinthians had first heard about this offering, they got so excited. Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to pass the offering around every week for the Judeans. We're going to, I'm going to give a certain amount. It's going to be incredible, you know, and they just got really excited about it. By the time second Corinthians letters written, Paul had heard through the grapevine that they'd forgotten about this offering they were supposed to be taking that they had purposed and were so excited about it. They'd committed in their heart to do it. They'd totally forgotten about it. And so Paul sends this, you know, part of this letter in Second Corinthians says, hey, don't forget, you know, a year ago you were so excited about it. You better get that going because I've been telling everybody else about your excitement. And if I come back and there's spider webs in the, in the offering box, you know, that's going to be embarrassing for you guys and for me because I've been, I've been telling everybody about how great you guys are. And so that's a little bit about what we read here, but there's some incredible principles laid out about giving here in, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go through all those. Uh, verse 1, and I, I should probably flip over there, probably be a good idea. Uh, verse 1, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. 
And so Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, I want you to know, I just went up to Macedonia, the, the area of Thessalonica and, and Achaia, Philippi, and they are going, they're being persecuted. They're going through trials. There's famine happening there, but they are so excited to help out that there's joy in the midst of these trials. And isn't that incredible? Does it not sound like Prineville a little bit? You know, there's affliction in Prineville. There is such a high unemployment rate in Prineville. It's just, it's staggering, you know, and not to mention all of the other suffering that's going on. And yet, even in the midst of the trials, the Macedonians were so excited to help out. In verse three, it says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And so we have the first three principles of giving here. Number one, the Macedonians gave according to their ability. Number two, beyond their ability. And so, you know, who, who doesn't give according to their ability? That seems almost like a given, you know, well, here I am. This is what I can do. I'm going to give according to my ability. But then it's interesting. It says they also gave beyond their ability. And this is where an offering, it just becomes a sacrifice to us. You know, it, perhaps it stings a little bit more to give during these times. You know, this is a verse that people like to take out of context and, and to the extreme of abusing it, saying, well, you don't have any money. Well, then get a credit card and start racking up, you know, money on your credit card and payments on your credit card for the Lord. No, see, that's just foolishness. And as you look at the whole of scripture, that's not good stewardship. There's also that's also needed in the Bible we see. But the best I can do with this notion of giving beyond my ability is to say that I can forego a legitimate want to supply for the legitimate need of the people. A legitimate want, I'll sacrifice it to help out with a legitimate need. In other words, I'm prepared to squeeze myself so that someone else doesn't feel the pinch. You know? My 16 Starbucks caramel latte marchiotos, or I don't even know what they're called, you know? Caramel Grant. Um, yeah, I think you all follow me. <laughs> Obviously, when I order there, I'm embarrassed. Uh, you know, or my Netflix account, you know, or my Hot Rod magazine, or these, you know, the cable and the extended cable TV and all this stuff. And I've just got this vast amount of stuff that legitimate want. And then my brother or my sister, they're starving or they're homeless or they are, they're freezing at night or they don't have, you know, whatever it is. And you know what? Beyond my ability, you know, I can, I can do without this to help somebody out with this. I'd rather be squeezed eh, than have someone else feel ah, a little bit of a pinch, you know, and what love that is to do that for one another. Beyond my ability, there's a sacrifice there. And man, I'll just tell you guys, I, I've, if this message isn't for you today, it's for me. You know, I was studying yesterday and, and I was just like, oh Lord, I'm just convicted, you know. And I came downstairs and Lindsay was like, how's the studying going? I'm like, I'm so convicted. Why? Because I'm so stingy. I'm so stingy, you know, according to my ability beyond my ability, you know, am I sacrificing anything in my giving? 
And you know, if you read First Chronicles chapter 21, and, and we studied this when we were studying David's life, remember at the end of David's life, he took a census of the land, but he was so prideful about how many mighty men of valor that he had and how many people were in his country. And he just got prideful about it. The Lord said, you know, what, David, you're in sin and you're going to be punished. And he gave David the three different choices on how to be punished. And finally, David chose, you know what, Lord, I just, whatever you choose for me, I'd rather fall into your hands to be punished than men. And so the Lord sent a plague on the land. And after the plague was over and thousands and thousands of people died, uh, David went up to the threshing floor of Ornan. And Ornan was threshing there with an oxen. And he said, Ornan, let me buy your oxen and the wood and the yoke for the oxen. I need to offer up a sacrifice. And Ornan said, oh, for goodness sakes, you're my king. Take my oxen and take the wood and take the yoking implements and just, it's yours. It's, it's a gift to you. And this is what David said. He said, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. I mean, would it really have been a sacrifice if he would have been like, hey, thanks, Ornan. You know, gets his knife out, you know, kills the oxen, lights it on fire. Here you go, Lord. And the Lord's like, that wasn't even yours. Come on. And David knew that. It's like, man, it was my sin that got me into this. And I know that my sacrifice is required here. According to their ability, beyond their ability. And then notice there in the end of verse three, they were freely willing. They were freely willing to give. And so as I was studying, I asked myself, these are my actual answers. Do I give according to my ability? My answer as your pastor, you can pray for me. Do I give according to my ability? My answer at the very most, at the very most, I give according to my ability. Do I give beyond my ability? Sadly, I don't think so. Am I freely willing? My answer, there's definitely some selfish hindrance there. <laughs> you know, and it's not that if someone was coming up to me and begging, what I'd be like, no, <laughs> you know, but I'm not vigilant and open eyed to look for the needs and to just be, Lord, this is your money here. It's yours. It's not mine. It's yours. And, and you know, oh, is that person over there in a need? Run after, Hey, are you in need? No, get off me. Okay. Well, sorry. You know, I, Man, freely willing, it's just not there. I'm stinking selfish. But we see that the generous widow in Luke chapter 21, she was all of these things. She's given according to her ability. She's giving beyond her ability. She was freely willing. And so you look at verse four, you know, the the Macedonians implored us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They begged Paul to take their money. And Paul, I'm sure, was like, oh, this is too much, guys. You're, 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 you're afflicted. You're going through trials. You guys need... Paul, please take our money. Please take it back to Jerusalem. Please. Paul, if you don't take our money, you're robbing us. <laughs> Do it, Paul. Take it. You have to. With much urgency, they begged him to take it. Why? So that they could be part of the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. 
Verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So the fourth principle here in giving is that we need to give ourselves first to the Lord. You know, our money is just an expression of our devotion to God. You know, they had put themselves, these Macedonians had put themselves in the offering plate first and the money naturally followed. I mean, that's literally what happened in their hearts. You know, the money plates going by, hold on a sec. Okay, pass me along. You know, this thing weighs 160 pounds. I know, Susie's in it, you know, and that's what we got to do. We got to give, you know what? You know, it's not 20% of my income, you know, 10% for tithe, you know, 10% for offering, 80%, mm-hmm, you know, it's all mine. No, that's not scripture at all. At the very best, it's Old Testament law, you know, but now it's a hundred percent of Rory goes in that tithe box. You know, we have agape boxes. So try to fit yourself through that little envelope hole. That's a whole lot harder. We need to go back to wheelbarrows or something like that. All of ourselves has to be given up. And when a person understands that becoming a Christian is giving all of yourself to the Lord, then all of the other stuff just follows. You know, it's not my money. It's not my, it's, it's not mine. It's not my time. It's not my energy. It's not my resources. It's not my business. It's all the Lord's. And so the question is, if you're wondering what that is, it's the rain going down into our broken gutter outside. So speaking of time and resources, no, I'm kidding. I walked by it today. I was like, I need to fix that. Should have done it. Um, you know, have you given all of yourself to Christ? Have you given all of yourself to him? Put yourself in the offering plate and say, Lord, here I am. The founder of the Salvation Army's name was William Booth. And one day he was asked, what is the secret to your life and specifically your peculiar usefulness to the Lord? What's the secret? And he replied very simply, Jesus Christ has all of me. Jesus Christ has all of me. I've given it all to the Lord. It's all his anyways. And he uses the man and the woman that will say that. Let's look at verse six. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, See that you abound in this grace as well. They've been getting a 4.0 in Bible school 101. Faith, speech, knowledge. They're at the prayer meetings. They're at the worship practice. You know, blah, 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 blah. They're using their gifts and good job. But they needed some extracurricular activity, you know, some extra credit. And, and he says, grow in, in this grace also. Isn't it interesting that giving is also called this grace which means free gift. Grow in the gift of giving. Lord, give us the gift of giving. We need it. Verse seven, but as you abound in, oh, we already did that one. Verse eight, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Isn't it awesome that giving for us, it's not law now. It's not a have to thing. 
You know, you read the Old Testament, 10% of your spices, your cinnamon, your cumin, your chili powder, you know, your lemon juice, 10%. You know, give it all over to the Lord, 10%, 10%. If you don't, God's going to kill your puppy dog. You know, you better do it. You better do it. You know, and now it's just freedom. Freedom. We get to give. It's all the Lord's anyways. You know, and, and as we're going to study, we just give as the Lord moves on your heart or as you purpose in your heart. Not just 10%. 10% great. 20% great. 5% great. 2% great. Whatever the Lord moves on your heart as you're pursuing your love relationship with him, that's what he wants. Giving is a matter of the heart. And it wasn't a commandment that he was giving them. And as you read this, you just, you sense his tone of just like a father, just helping his kids out and growing in their relationship with Christ. Not a commandment. He's just testing the Corinthians and he's using as an example, the Macedonians who were doing a great job. And more importantly, we're going to see in a little bit, Jesus, the ultimate giver that we can ascribe to. Verse nine For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Oh, if that's not a memory verse, if that's not a verse that deserves a gold star by it, you know. Oh, how beautiful. He who was rich became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich or righteous. In other words, the Macedonians, or the Macedonians and, and for us, we need to give just in response of the grace of God. You look at his giving, wow, look how much Jesus gave for me. And we're compelled to give just like he did. He gave all of himself. I want to give all of myself. And how rich we become in Jesus. And a few verses here, uh, 2 Corinthians, these are on a slide just so that you don't get paper cuts. Uh, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that incredible? He didn't have any sin in him, but he took on himself our sin that we can be righteous or rich riches as it should be. We've been made rich through Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How rich we've been made in him. And then 1 Timothy 6, chapter, 7, chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or prideful, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He gives us richly all things to enjoy, but what are we to do with that riches? Verse 18 says, 
Be rich in good works with those riches. Be ready to give. Be willing to share. Because of his great love, we see his great love and how he's made us rich. And in in turn, we want to make others rich as well, specifically spiritually, but even financially. Verse 10 back there in 2 Corinthians. And in this, I give advice. It's to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have. And so just just what we were talking about there, you know, they were ready to do it a year ago. Now it's time to act on that and complete that desire. Verse 12, for if there is first a willing mind. So another principle were to give with a willing mind. It's accepted according to what one has. And not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be an equality. And so, you know, maybe you're feeling like, well, I'm always the one that gives, you know, well, praise God. But there's going to come a time and and there may come a time that you're going to be the one that needs and someone's going to be there to help with your needs. There's an equality, there's an ebb and there's a flow. We're to give according to what one has there. We see the principle we just read, but then we're also to give to supply one another's lack. And we've just seen this ebb and flow happening in this body. And you know, uh, a lot of pastors, when they teach on giving, um, those, pa- those guys that just don't walk through the word, you know, they'll, they'll be like, today's a good day to teach on tithing. You know, it's because there's a building project that needs to be done, or there's some great need for money that, you know, desperate, desperation comes out in the pastor voice, please, you know, and how awesome that today, I don't teach this because, you know, because I'm trying to beat you guys with this stuff, but there's radical stuff happening in this body. And as I was studying, I was rejoicing. There is incredible stuff happening. And some of you need to get on board, but some of you are on board. And it's just, you're just being obedient to what the Lord puts on your heart. You know, how incredible yesterday, we had a Christmas bazaar here that, you know, I came late, didn't know what was happening at the time, but there was a line all the way out to the street corner of people coming in here. And we ran out of stuff to give people. So people had to go to other stores and get more stuff and bring it back so that we could give it away to people. (laughs) I mean, that's incredible that that's going on in this church. You know, we had a couple come by a, a week and a half ago And they, you know, they were homeless, they were moneyless, they were needing, and they came to the prayer meeting to get prayer. And we just said, you know, the the first thing, you know, they said, we're homeless, we don't have anywhere to go. And in their sorrow, they communicated that. And somebody got up and said, you're staying with us tonight, honey. (laughs) You know, and it was like, whoa, this is awesome to watch. And then as we talked with these people, we said, you know, I don't know how much money we can give you, but we want to give you Jesus. We want Jesus, they said, and they got saved. And then the incredible thing is to watch just how the Lord's been providing for this couple. Another couple said, uh, about a couple months ago said, Rory, for Christmas, we want to, instead of giving gifts for ourselves, we want to give 
um, all of our money we would give to gifts, we want to give towards someone in the body that's hurting. And, and so I prayed for a couple months. They wanted to know who to give to. I prayed. The Lord put on my heart a couple different people. And um, before I'd even given them the gift, they'd come up to me and said, uh, you know, we don't have any money for uh, rent or for heat this year. We're going to get kicked. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And I go, well, this is from somebody for you that God put on their heart. You know, it's not me, <laughs> you know? And then the incredible thing was this week, God provided their needs and they were able to give out of their abundance. All of a sudden, by the end of the week, rent was paid. Heat was paid. Christmas presents were met. You know, all of a sudden they're like, we have so much extra. We want to give to somebody. So give, and it's like, whoa, I can't handle all this giving, you know, Thursday night at prayer, I had checks and cash in this pocket, checks and cash in this pocket, and cash in this pocket, all for different people. So I take it home and I put it in my bank account. No, not really. <laughs> put it in envelopes. Okay. But I was like, holy moly, you know, what is with these people in giving? I don't know what to do with all this. How incredible that's happening in this body. You know, Kevin came up to me after prayer and he's like, how are we going to communicate with the body that this incredible stuff is happening and that it's even happening at the prayer meeting? People are missing out. Maybe we should do a video with some people sharing their testimonies or maybe, uh, and it was so cool as we came to study this. I was like, wow, this is how the Lord wants to let people know that it's a fruit of the spirit of God happening in this church. And Rory, I want you to be a part of it, man. You're being a little bit stingy, you know? You're not even hardly giving according to your ability, you know? Okay, you know, not even like that. You know, it's like, you're right, Lord, really, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for what God's doing. But it's happening in our body. And that's just, oh, I'm so excited about that. Um, let's just look at verse 15. You know, as it was written, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. You know, it's a reference to them gathering manna in the desert in Moses's day. One guy that would get a ton of manna. Hey, look what I got. One guy's like, oh, I only got three little pieces of manna, you know. And the guy's like, well, hey, here, have some, you know. There was no lack. There was no lack because people were willing to share and to give. Uh, and and uh, we're going to just kind of skip the rest of chapter eight there. They're just talking about. You know, they're sending like a, a bodyguard with the money so that it doesn't get stolen. And there's great accountability there on Paul's part and Titus. And then we get into chapter nine. It says, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. Or it's very needful that I write this to you guys. For I know your willingness about which I boast to you in the Macedonians that Okay, I was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Verse 5, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand which you'd previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not a matter of grudging obligation. 
So, you know, Paul's kind of like a father teaching his little kids how to give and how to tithe. You know, I don't know if you guys remember when I grew up in the church and I remember driving to church as a little kid sitting in the back seat. And, you know, my mom would be like, "Okay, kids, here's a little quarter for each of you to put in the little Sunday school tithe box, you know. And we were like, sweet, you know, and you get to put it in there. And God just my mom's just teaching us how to how to use the Lord's money. And, uh, and that's kind of what Paul's doing. All right, kids, remember, here's how you, you know, here's what the, what the principles are. And, uh, and he just puts there at the end, man, let it be a matter of generosity. And man, I hope your pens are underlining because there's so many good principles here. A matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Generosity speaks of, man, we're giving because of, of bounty. We want to give. We're unstingy. But grudging obligation speaks of resentment in your giving strong enough to bring retaliation or you're, you're bound to this penalty and your obligation that, you know, if there's a failure to comply, there's some sort of a punishment, you know, and, um, and, you know, if we give, uh, grudgingly our approach is, oh, I have to do this. Have you ever given with that approach? I have to do this. Well, that's obligation or perhaps grudgingly obligation. But when we give or when we give dutifully, well, it's my duty to give to the church. You know, it's what I do. It's my responsibility. Then our approach is I need to give. And the Lord doesn't even want our approach to be that. He doesn't want it to be I have to or I need to. But he wants our approach to be giving thankfully. And in that sense, we come saying I get to. I get to do this. Not out of obligation, but out of just an overflow of what's happening in my heart right now. I just love Jesus so much and I see so much of what he's done for me. And then in verse six, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So pretty simple stuff here, man. If you know anything about farming, which even an elementary school kid can understand that if you throw six seeds out there, you're going to maybe have six little sprouts grow up. But if you grab a farming implement called a drill, hook it up to your tractor, these drills come behind a tractor and you get bags and bags of seed and you dump them into these drills. You know, you just dump, dump, dump. And then you go driving through the field and you just watch the seed just pour into the ground behind you. And you know that when you're pouring in that seed, that you're going to reap a huge harvest. There's going to be a bounty. But if you're just kind of like, ah, one little seed over there, you know, one little mite over there, you know, whatever, uh, there's just not going to be much said after that. You know, in, in Malachi chapter three, verse eight, we do have a slide for that one too. So you don't have to flip over there. You know, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you, God? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be that there will not be room enough to receive it. What an incredible promise. This is like the one place in the scriptures that God says, hey, test me. Go ahead. Test me. See how faithful I am to come through. 
Now, people would take this scripture and, well, he who reaps bountifully or sows bountifully reaps, you know, they would take this and they would twist it to a health and wealth and prosperity type gospel that, you know, if you do this, you'll be rich in every way. You'll have that mansion in Beverly Hills. You'll have the bling bling around your neck. You'll have the ski boat, you know, and all that stuff, um, all because of that one little gift that you first gave. And it's not that we're giving to receive more for ourselves. It's that we're giving and we're going to get more to give back out more, to get more, to get back out more, to, oh gosh, to, oh yeah, you know, and give it back out there. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're not to be storehouses with our stuff, but we're to be distribution centers of the Lord's gifts. You know, well, he's given me this. I'm just going to put it on the box coming this way, put the box that way. Oh, here's a box, put it that way. You know, we're just giving back out the gifts that God has so graciously given to us. You know, giving is not the end in itself. Well, I gave, we're done, you know, and I got my big blessing from it. But no, giving is the means to the final end of having tons of souls in heaven with us. We're going to see later that our giving is a testimony to Jesus of Jesus to people. That's the final end is when we stand there before him on that day and we get to cast our crowns before God and say, the glory doesn't belong to me. The glory belongs to you, Lord. Now there is confusion, you know, on the TBN networks and the, you know, the health and wealth and prosperity and all that, because these verses say what they say. And so you're like, well, it says, you know, Pour up such blessing, there won't be room enough to receive it, man. You're going to get stinking rich, you know. But you have to, there's a line throughout Scripture. And you have to stay on that line. You know, the temptation is to go above the line. Hey, if you give today, you know, this one-time gift, you'll get a thousand-fold return and you'll be a billionaire. You'll live by Bill Gates, you know. That's a little bit above the line. To go below the line would say, hey, you know what, just give and that's it, <laughs> you know, or to say, don't give that'd be below the line. There's a, a thread throughout scripture. You have to stay within the context of it. It's been said, we will never give generously without discovering a fresh God's ability to supply our needs so that we may give generously again. You know, you get that hundred dollar gift from aunt Susie, you know, And you're like, this is awesome. You know, Xbox 360 is a third paid off, you know. And then, you know, you're like, oh, but no, 10%, 10% goes to the Lord, 10% goes, you know. And then the Lord moves on you. Hey, how about 100%? Wow, Lord, you're right. I'm going to buy all these Christmas ornaments that Jordan's selling, you know, to get him to Africa, you know. Great. Well, how interesting it is that the day you give that $100, you know, or or the season or something, you know, you'll notice, man, you know what? The day I gave that $100, my buddy Billy paid me back the 50 bucks he owed me and so-and-so paid me back that one. Someone else gave me another gift. Now I have $300. Wow, the scriptures are correct that if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. This is incredible. 300, you know, not George Washington's, but it would be Ben Franklin's, am I right? Anyways, and then you hear the voice in the back of your head, what are you going to do with that $300? I see where you're going with this, God, you know. He wants to give so we can give more. Don't you love God's economy? So much better than do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. You know, it's I get to, hey, you know, 
Wow, thanks, Lord. Hey, how about I give it back out? Oh, oh, smooth, Lord. You're so smooth. Okay, anyways. Uh, he wants us to be that distribution type center for him. Verse seven. So let each one give. See if you can catch the principle here. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. As he purposes in his heart or as he aims or resolves in his heart. Not that law demanding that 10% tithe, but man, Lord, this month, you're so, man, you've been so good, 50%, whatever. Lord, you've moved on my heart, I'm going to give it. As I'm spending time with you, you'll move on my heart when it's right and when, uh, and the amount that's correct. And then you also see another principle there, not grudgingly, again, you see it, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So don't give grudgingly or of necessity. Well, someone's got to give it, so it might as well be me. Okay, not the right heart to have. You know, you're on a good road, but just step back and just consider God, consider his grace, consider his mercy and let it be not a I have to thing, but an I get to thing. Well, Rory says I have to, I feel like I have to give everything or the church is going to fall apart. You know what? If I'm ever the one that's compelling you to give, step back, wait on the Lord, seek for the right timing, the right amount. And for whatever it's supposed to, don't let Rory compel you. I was listening to a a pastor and he just says, you know what? I just teach on giving like maybe once every eight years or something like that. And he's like, because I don't ever want to be the one that's making people give. I want to be the Lord. I want the Lord to be the one that's making people give. I don't want them to feel like they have to give out of necessity or of a grudging obligation. I just want them to love the grace of God and then in turn, give it out. You know, if your heart is that grudgingly, man, I'd sure like to keep this money for a new pair of, you know, fat babies or a compound bow or some new rims for my my Chevy truck, you know, then, well, you know what? Keep the money then. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't even want your money. God wants your heart. He can get it done without you, but he wants to use you for your own sake. He wants you to be a part of the blessing that's happening. You know, we're to give, Proverbs tells us we're to give when it's in the power of our hand to do so. You know, Proverbs chapter three, verse 27, don't withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in that power of your hand to do so. Don't say to your neighbor, hey, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you today. Give it today. You know, Deuteronomy, the next slide, Deuteronomy 15, verse seven says, if there's among you a poor man of your brethren, Deuteronomy, if the slides aren't you can flip there, you can just listen If there's a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which is the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, ah, the seventh year, the year of Jubilee or the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, the Lord, your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand to 
for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Don't you love that verse? The poor, it's never going to cease among you right now. You know, there's 25% unemployment or 20. I've heard a few different figures in Prineville. You know, there's so much need beyond even financially. And man, we should regularly just be free and willing with open wide hands and not to worry about, well, now what am I going to do? Hey, remember it was their lack. Now it's your lack. Now somebody else is going to be the one that gets to give to help you out. Cheerful, hilarious giving. Um, we see as the next point there, verse, um, verse seven, they're not grudgingly or necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. That Greek word there, hilarious giver. Man, wouldn't you love it when you hear the, a coin go in the copper, they call it, you know, back there, just, <laughs> you know, whoa, some hilarious giving going on back there, you know. That would be awesome. Okay. <laughs> you know, we should give because we get a kick out of giving. You know, oh, I just love when that person doesn't know I gave them that and I just get to see him blessed. Oh, that's awesome. You know, Lord, you're so good. You know, I just, I get a kick out of giving. It's not the amount that determines. It's your heart that determines. Have a hilarious attitude. Verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So there's fruit that comes from us giving. There's thanksgiving to God in verse 11. In verse 12, the needs of the saints are supplied. For the says, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving towards God. So needs are met. People get their eyes off themselves and they're able to thank God and give him worship and praise. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God. You might underline that. There's thanksgiving towards God. They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Now just picture the Jew in Jerusalem, the, the Christian Jew who received this offering all the way from Macedonia and he's able to go out to the market one day finally and then buy some food for his family and maybe a new shirt or something. You know, and as he's out there, uh, his Jewish buddy says, wow, you're looking a little better off. You know, you got a little, little money there and you're getting some food. Wow, that's really good. How'd that happen? You know? Well, you wouldn't believe it, but a whole bunch of people from churches in Macedonia and Corinth and Philippi, all over there in the Mediterranean, they donated all of this to people here in Jerusalem. What? Gentiles over there giving? I thought they were like, Gentiles were meant to just fuel the pits of hell, you know? No, they're, there's, in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile or slave nor free. There are brothers 
and, and they're giving. And isn't that incredible? And, and I, well, I want to be a part of that. You know, God's glorified. People get saved. Thanksgiving is brought before him. There's fruit happening through the giving of the saints. And then verse 14. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Man, now the Jerusalem saints pray for those people. Oh, I just long for them. That Their grace, it just stirs me. Their grace is just, their gift, it just, I'm so blessed by that. I'm hungry for fellowship with those people that give. John Stott, just an incredible missionary to um, some cannibal uh, islands down by Australia said, by our giving, we give expression to our theology. When we give to evangelistic enterprises, we are expressing our confidence that the gospel is the power of God to salvation and everyone needs to hear it. That's when we give to gospel purposes. When we give to humanitarian needs, we're showing the world that we believe that every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God and shouldn't live in subhuman conditions. It's a testimony to our theology when we give. The, the place, you know, where, when, why, how much, and how people give, it's all testimonies to the level of their confidence in Christ. And so may we grow. And I know, man, if it's not for you, you can leave. It might not be for you today. <laughs> Probably isn't. <laughs> it's for me today, you know. Man, I need to grow. That people would long for me because exceeding grace of God in me. In verse 15, I just love this closing of this chapter. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It all gets off of ourselves now. It's all off of ourselves. We just got to turn the focus onto Jesus and thank him for his indescribable gift that he sent his son to become fully God, fully man and to live the life that sinners have lived and yet be without sin and then to be betrayed and to be delivered up and to be killed and to take that death on the cross that we all deserved that he could take the sin upon him and forgive us of our sins and then three days later rise from the dead that's an incredible gift i mean there's a christmas message right there you know that's an indescribable gift that he who was rich chapter 8 verse 9 became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich in him man be like the widow guys throw it all in the copper throw it all in there give it all are you a young man with hopes dreams and aspirations throw it all in are you a widow at the end of your life that's like, well, I don't know what to do. Throw it all in. Throw yourself in. Your business, your career, your hopes, your dreams. Give yourself, like Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God. And as you do that, the rest will just follow. The rest will just follow naturally. Lord, this morning, we just want to meditate on your gift towards us. What a gift, Lord. Maybe one of us would die for one of our friends, but Lord, you died for your enemies. 
that they could be your friends. Thank you for that gift, Lord. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.